Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey there, TCC. If you're new with us, my name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24 as we wrap up our series on this book, which we started essentially at the beginning of Advent. Luke has been our guide and lens through which we viewed Advent and Christmas and Christmas Tide and Lent and Holy Week and Easter. We've seen Jesus' birth and life and ministry and teachings, and now we've seen his death and resurrection. And we have one last chapter here that we want to take a look at before we close out this series. Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 35. But this section that we're looking at is kind of in the middle of things, so we need some setup. We need some context. Context. Jesus has risen. We saw that last week. The women went to the tomb on that Easter morning with spices to treat the body, but the tomb was empty. Jesus was gone. And they're greeted by angels that tell them that Jesus is not there, that he has risen as he said he would, and they're told to go and tell the disciples. Peter shows up to the tomb and finds it just like the women described it, but they're all confused and they don't know what to think or what to believe. Then two of Jesus' disciples, though people not in his inner circle, they weren't part of the twelve, they're walking along on their way to a and talking about everything that happened, and suddenly they're met by Jesus, though they don't recognize him, and he asks them what they're talking about. And they tell him, we're talking about Jesus, what happened to him, what's happening with him, the testimony of the women trying to figure out what is going on. And then Jesus starts to explain it to them from the scriptures. It says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And this guy is blowing their minds right now. So they urge him, hey, stay with us. And Jesus does. And they sit down to have a meal together. And Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And at that moment, they recognize him as Jesus. And as soon as they do, he vanishes. So the two disciples decide that they need to go and tell the other disciples that it's true that Jesus is risen. And they need to tell them what happened. And now we pick the account up in verse 35. Here's what it says. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So around Easter, we have a common liturgical practice of a call and an answer. So I would say, he is risen, and you would respond by saying, he is risen indeed. Why do we do that? What's the point? Well, these liturgies are part of our spiritual and theological formation. They highlight the central tenets of Christianity. It's not simply affirming a historical fact or agreeing with a biblical statement. There are plenty of historical facts and biblical statements that are helpful and instructional, but don't have a liturgical expression. The walls of Jericho fell. That's weird. You, you didn't say, the walls of Jericho fell indeed. Did the walls of Jericho not fall? No, they did. That's a historical fact. That's a biblical truth. It's part of the word of God, and it's helpful to us. It teaches us. It reveals something to us about the nature and character of God. It's instructional, but it's not foundational. The fact that the walls of Jericho fell down is not a central tenet of Christianity, and so we don't have a typical call and response. These liturgical practices are spiritual and theological formations. That we have a call and response of he is risen, he is risen indeed, is not merely a statement of historical fact or biblical truth. The liturgical practice is itself an emphasis on the centrality of the doctrine. And the resurrection is unquestionably central to Christianity. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection means everything to us. If Christ is not raised, your faith is useless. If Christ is not raised, you are still in your sins. If Christ is not raised, we are to be the most pitied and we have no hope. And as we heard from Pastor Ryan last Sunday, if Christ is not raised, then all of this is nothing. That is central. And so we have these rituals. We have these call and answers. We have these liturgical practices. And that could certainly be helpful, but we have to be mindful that these are man-made traditions and customs. In the same way that they shape our theological understanding, they can also distort our theological understanding. So we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. But we don't typically say, he has ascended, he has ascended indeed. We don't typically say that, not even at Pentecost. How does that shape our thinking? For a lot of Christians, I think they view the ascension of Jesus as a secondary theological fact when I think the truth is it's central. The ascension is central to Christianity if for no other reason because it's the demonstration of what the resurrection accomplished. When we say he is risen, I think we think the important word is risen. And it's certainly important, but equally, if not more so, is what precedes it. The scriptures tell us that a man died and was buried in a tomb, but days later the stone is rolled away and the man rises back to life, and that man's name was Lazarus. Jesus was not the first resurrection. 
There's resurrections before Jesus. There's resurrections in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings, there's a dead boy and Elisha prays and lies down on him and the boy is brought back to life. Or even more miraculous, we have this account with Elisha's bones. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. There are resurrections before Jesus. There are resurrections during Jesus' ministry, of course, Lazarus. But Jesus also raises a little girl back from the dead. He also raises a widow's son. This one is often forgotten. In Luke, it says, Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. There were resurrections before Jesus. There were resurrections with Jesus, and there were resurrections after Jesus. We see with Dorcas and Acts, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Also in Acts, we have Eutychus, who falls out of a window and dies, and Paul embraces him, and he's brought back to life. There are resurrections before Jesus, there are resurrections with Jesus, and there are resurrections after Jesus. And these resurrections are facts of history. They're biblical accounts. They're helpful accounts. They edify and teach. They're instructional, but they're not foundational. When we say he is risen, no one is talking about Lazarus. The resurrection of Lazarus does nothing for your sin. The resurrection of Dorcas does not conquer death. The death of Eutychus does not justify us before Almighty God. The distinction is not that a person rose from the dead. It's that this person rose from the dead. He is risen. That's what we see in our passage, right? Jesus rises from the dead, and then he does what? Verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Right? He opens their minds to the scriptures. It's about him. It's about who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the promises. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. The law and prophets and psalms are about him. All of scripture is not about Lazarus. The law and prophets and psalms are not pointing us to Eutychus. Dorcas's resurrection does nothing for the forgiveness of sins. Scripture is pointing to him. It's his death and his resurrection that matters because of who he is. He's the Messiah. He's God incarnate who lives a perfect life and dies in our stead while we were helpless in our sin. He dies for us and atones for our sins and justifies us before God. He's the only one who could do that which is why his death and his resurrection is everything to us. All other resurrections are just there to point to him, to point us to the resurrection and the life. 
It is only by his death and his resurrection that sin and death are conquered. And we see that very clearly in his ascension. Jesus is not the first person to rise from the dead, but he is the first person to rise from the dead to never taste death again. Lazarus rises, but only to die again. Same with Dorcas, same with Eutychus, and the girl, and the widow's boy, and all the rest of them. But not so with Jesus. Those resurrections don't conquer death. They'll succumb to it yet again. It's a stay of execution. It's not liberation. My brother is a surgeon, and we'll joke around. He'll make the pompous surgeon jokes, you know, so someone will ask him to unclog the garbage disposal, and he'll go, these hands save lives. And I'll go, well, if you think about it, though, ultimately, 100% of your patients die 100% of the time. Not really saving, postponing at best. So really, when it comes down to it, my job's more important. Now, really, as Christians, we're all in the same business. And we are so grateful for our surgeons and doctors and medical professionals who, who help get us healthy and extend our lives. That's a wonderful thing. And these miraculous resurrections are also wonderful and amazing. But ultimately, all surgeries and medical treatments aren't enough. Even these miracles that defy death, still, they don't overcome it. There will be another funeral for them, another grave, another tomb. But not so with Jesus. Jesus rises from the dead and does not go back into that grave. He ascends because his death and his resurrection conquers death once and for all. Romans declares these words, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. It's not like those resurrections. His death means death to sin once for all. And his resurrection means that death no longer has mastery. Jesus leads the way, and those who follow him in faith will be like him. Jesus is the first fruits. Let's go back to the 1 Corinthians passage. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus leads the way, and those who follow him in faith will be like him. Faith in him means our sin is put to death, and death no longer gets the last word because Jesus does not go back into the grave. He ascends. His resurrection is different. And you notice that the disciples are freaking out. Now, why is that? This is not their first resurrection. You'd think that they'd be able to wrap their minds around it better or handle it better. But Jesus' resurrection is not the same. He's coming to them in his glorified body, in his heavenly body. Oftentimes, they don't recognize him right away. And there's different explanations for that. But you know, Paul talks about our coming resurrected bodies back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. 
The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I think that's what we see here with Jesus' raised body. It's a glorified body, an imperishable body. And he comes to them in power and authority. He's suddenly appearing and then disappearing, and that's freaking them out. Right? Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. His resurrection is a non-stop supernatural display. And the way Jesus chooses to come before them creates in our mind an understanding that this is a different kind of resurrection. It's not like the others. And that is something that we need to understand. But it's physical too, right? He's not a ghost. It's a bodily resurrection. Jesus makes that abundantly clear and Luke emphasizes that for us. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. It's bodily. It's physical. It's not a metaphor. He says, you can touch me. You can feel me. It's real. Here, look, I I can even eat. A glorified body, perhaps, but it's very much a body. You know, this is very different from other religions or modes of thought. Gnosticism or certain Eastern religions that think that the physical, the material is the problem. The problem is just that we're bound to these carnal things and we need to free ourselves from this bondage of the material by transcending the physical world. But that is not Christianity. We don't believe that God made a mistake in creating the physical world. We believe he made it good and called it good. And the bodily, physical resurrection is a testimony to us that Jesus will redeem it all, body and soul, spiritual world and physical world. All of it is subject to him, and we need him for all of it. We certainly have spiritual problems, our waywardness, our inclination away from God, our idolatry, our lust, our greed, our selfish ambition, all the sin and darkness that brings us death. But we also have physical problems, age and decay, infection and disease, pestilence and natural disasters, breaks and tears, malfunctions, and all kinds of destruction that bring us death. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life, body and soul, spirit and physical. In him, we have regeneration of our souls, remission of our sins, resurrection of our bodies, restoration with God, and the redemption of all creation. He does it all. A spiritual rebirth only to languish in deteriorating bodies isn't good enough. Resurrection to a fallen world isn't good enough. Resurrection without ascension isn't good enough. Listen to these words from Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus ascends to a place. Again, like his resurrection, it's not a metaphor. Heaven is not a metaphor. It's not ascending to some mental state or some ethereal disembodied condition like nirvana. No, heaven is a real place. It's as real as the resurrected Jesus, a place prepared for us. We have that promise in Jesus' ascension. But we have something else as well. Not only does Jesus ascend to a place, he ascends to a person. He goes to his Father. The resurrected Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And the promise that Jesus makes to his followers is that they will be where he is, to a place, but more importantly, to a person. As the Westminster Catechism puts it, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, one of the things that I see non-Christians starkly get wrong about Christianity is heaven. Where it's just so transactional. You you follow the rules, you're obedient, and then you get a mansion and a crown and a harp. And the Bible does talk about reward for our labor, but the Christian walk is a labor of love. I've known plenty of Christians at the end of their lives, and what's forefront on their minds isn't mansions or streets of gold. It's not even the desire to be reunited with loved ones or the end of suffering. No, what's usually on the forefront of their minds is Jesus. They constantly talk about being with Jesus. Ascension to a person. Non-Christians think of heaven as what we get. Christians think of heaven as who we're with. A resurrection isn't good enough. A restored creation isn't good enough. We will never feel whole until we are holy in his presence to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And we have that hope because Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus ascended. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.